0: This is a Stand-Up Labs production, powered by digital media. From Race Wallace Podcast, this is Unhirable, with White Karen and GoToGayTobby. Okay, today's guest is... The legendary Sarah Schulman. Well, well, well. Legendary around these parts. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we're just gonna jump right in. We're gonna go into feedback up front. Party feedback.
1: Okay. All right. You start.
0: Okay, I'll start. All right, let's start with the the, the big thing. Okay, so we are we are unhireable, and at the moment our iTunes logo is still the show that we used to do, Crass to Mouth, mm-hmm. and it's going to be fixed at some point. Mm-hmm. We're, we've done everything we can. Mm-hmm. That's the end of that. Mm. <laughs> I don't know when it's gonna happen, but we're, 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 we're unhirable, it just says Crass to Mouth.
1: Yes, we continue to be unhirable, nothing has changed.
0: No, they cannot be no hired. No one
1: can hire
0: us. Oh, this feels so liberating. Oh, especially God, Although, although is anybody unhireable in Trump's America? Everyone's unhireable. Or is everybody just so unfireable?
1: Um, no, no, people still get fired.
0: Yeah, I guess people do still get fired. But you, the the things that we thought uh, made it impossible for somebody to get a job no longer seem like they would exclude you from employment. What does that mean? I just mean like if Donald Trump can be elected president, then like really, if Sarah Schulman can make a porn film. Which we found out <laughs> while we were waiting <laughs> for... I wrote it. <laughs> <Mazel> <laughs> Wrote, wrote. <Right>. Right. <laughs> well, that's made, right? You mm-hmm. would say you're a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Is this your first... This is not your first film you've written. You've written several films. Oh, no. Films. Yeah, I've written four films. Okay, so, so Sarah, uh, we'll get into this in a minute, but I do want to start with you, Sarah, because uh, a, a very nice uh, listener of the show emailed me recently and said that he was really responding to your new book conflict is not abuse. And this is something that you actually got to the last time you were here in June, I think you were probably, you had finished writing this book, but it had not yet come out. But I remember that you and Karen were having a really lively conversation about Israel and Palestine because Karen is a Zionist and you are not necessarily right. Would that be fair to say you're not a Zionist? Um, and uh, I remember we took a break and I came back and I was like, oh, Sarah and Karen just got into a fight while we were on break. And you were like, no, we no, didn't.
1: No, Con- conflict is not abuse, Tommy. Well,
0: that's, but that's what you said. You actually <laughs> previewed this whole book for me in that moment. You said, no, we're having a reasonable discussion like adults should. This is what you're supposed to do, which I thought was really interesting. But so this guy who listens to the show and really appreciated your last visit said that of your book, the new book, Conflict is Not Abuse, that it puts a lot of focus on introspection and identifying one's own role and responsibility in conflict. He's wondering, as an educator who regularly works with young people, how do you feel, Sarah, about young people's ability to look inward at their own actions? And have you seen any changes in this over the years that you've been teaching?
2: i see no changes. But, you know, (laughs) I teach fiction writing, which is all about why people do what they do. So that's what we do in my classroom, is we're just constantly asking ourselves, why is this character doing this? What is their objective? What is their action to reach their objective? And what is the consequence? So it does require, I mean, my art form requires a lot of introspection.
0: And do you find that they are able to look to literature to find out truths about themselves in your class?
2: It depends. It depends on the kid mm-hmm. and also you know, on their background. I have kids who, who feel very disloyal to their families if they ask too many questions. Mm. And um, then I have kids whose families really want them to ask questions. But I teach in a working class school, so most of the students live at home.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what are you teaching? What, what, I teach what's the curriculum? Writing. Oh, fiction writing. So they're not reading in the class no. at all. Okay, and so what is fiction writing? Is it purely novel writing, short story no, writing? No, it's, it's short stories. It's yeah. short story.
2: So I'm teaching them the craft of fiction, and our subject matter are their stories.
0: Okay, so you're dealing, you have, would you say, you, you de- I think you've talked about this, you have a pretty large uh, immigrant population mm-hmm. among your students. Right, is there when you're teaching these classes, how much of it is like grammar that you're teaching them and how much of it it's is... It's not grammar. You're not going... No,
2: there. it's it's the craft of fiction. It's like mm-hmm. narrative drive, narrative arc, point of view. You know, so they can kind of they stuff. can
0: construct sentences. It's not like... It's not
2: remedial. Some of them can and some of them can't, but yeah. it's not about that. Mm-hmm. It's just about... You know, it's about the idea. It's about the complexity mm-hmm. of a human story.
0: So one thing that you talk about a lot is... Um, evolutions and forms so when you're dealing with people who are coming from all these different cultures do you find that they sort of as a group are innovating new ways uh to craft these stories
2: tend to the kids who have a problem with this are the american-born kids you know so like the first day i'll say where are you from what languages do you speak what does your name mean so a kid will say, I'm from Ghana. I speak four languages. My name means flying tree or something. <laughs> and then some kid will say, I'm from Staten Island. I only speak English. I don't know what my name means. And their name is something like Dalba. So it means from Alba. So it's like so obvious what their name means. But they just have never thought of themselves as anything but objective and neutral. Are we shouting
1: out Dalba right now?
2: What's <laughs> up, <I love> Dalba? <laughs> what? Your name
1: means flying tree or whatever. It means you're
2: from Alba. <laughs>
0: Oh, like O'Malley. A, Oma, well, yeah. I just went to the birthplace of O'Malleys, County Mayo. I actually don't know what it means, though.
1: Means of Malley. Oh, well, I yeah. know it
0: means of that <laughs> clan, but I don't know like what Malia, which is what I think it originally was. Like, I'm pretty ignorant. Is that because I'm an American? It could be. I don't know. We dress such general. Last night I was told something very general about myself. What? I said I wanted to buy a gun. I'm really anti-gun. I feel in my bones very anti-gun. But seeing the pictures of Standing Rock is like really it's really put me over the edge i don't know what to do so i've i've genuinely been considering buying a gun because i don't
1: to put where
0: i don't know i don't here know what's happening to this country yeah I'm but just, where
1: but i'm saying you live here where are you gonna put it
0: i don't know in like a box in my closet i don't i, I where where do people keep guns
1: not in new york
0: i people in new york have to have guns yeah, but
1: they're criminals no
0: no no you can own a gun in new york city in new york state
1: you have to have in new york
2: state yeah not in the city
0: Really? How is that going
2: to help people at Standing Rock? Send them the money you would spend on the gun. Oh, I know. No, but I was
0: thinking like, what if if we are going toward a revolution? I don't know where we are. I'm just being reactionary. But I was told by two people. I was told by a white Jewish guy Uh that I was having a white reaction to it. And then uh, I was told by a black guy that I'm dating that he also thought that I was having a white reaction to it. And it's like, to why is that white? Rock. To what's happening in the country by wanting to buy a gun? That that is a white reaction.
1: How is that exclusive to whiteness?
0: That's what I don't know. I don't know, but that's what two people black told people, me last night. Black people,
1: brown people, every color people have guns in this country. I don't get it.
0: Well, I don't know. I mean, that sort of thinking. I, I, I that sort of thinking where like something is like a white thing to do or a black thing to do. Uh, I think is part of why we're in the situation that we're in right now. Maybe
1: it means that it's like a bunker, end of the world mentality, which is kind of white. That's a little bit white. Like Maybe that it's that's because who does an
2: individual reaction instead of like a community building reaction. Like
0: what you're saying, give money to the people at Standing Rock, as opposed to just buy a gun to save myself from the truth. Well, it's not
1: gonna save <laughs> yourself. Well, it's gonna turn the standing rock into a shot rock.
0: <laughs> I know, but standing rock's very scary. I, I'm not really gonna buy a gun. I hate guns, but uh-huh. I mean I don't know, because this is the other thing that I've been thinking. Like if the revolution comes, the people that know how to use guns. Are the, are the people that I don't agree with.
2: Well, you're saying if the revolution comes, we're right at the day one beginning of fascism. I, well, that's what so I mean. So whatever revolution you're talking about, is not for a long time. We oh. have to go through this horrible... Uh, destruction of our society first okay. also here's the thing
1: tons of people own guns like tons of them and not all of them are trump supporters and also shooting a gun is not rocket science like it's really easy to like maybe not in new york but somewhere else buy a gun learn how to shoot it and then store it properly like that doesn't make you a fascist
0: But I don't think that's what you're saying. I think you're- No, 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 I'm not saying that's what you're saying at all.
1: No, 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 but I'm just, but you said the people, when the revolution comes, which already is problematic, but I'll let it fly. (laughs) Um, I don't know if it's coming. I don't know where we are. It's not, but that's okay. Um, (laughs) That the people who own guns are the ones that are gonna be against you. That's crazy.
0: Maybe it is, but a year ago, if you told me Donald Trump was going to be president, I would have said that that was crazy. I
2: thought you predicted it. I
0: predicted it in March when I oh! talked to you. I have the transcript, Sarah, said to prove it. it. Chris said Tyler, it. Chris Tyler, who's a great <laughs> uh, a, a great guy that, uh, that did a whole show, actually, about Sarah, or inspired by Sarah's work. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a conversation for my other job, and at the very end of the interview, I said, he's going to win, and he did, and I don't feel good about that.
1: Um, we have one really important question. So our listener, Kevin, asks... Uh, is a hot dog a sandwich?
0: <laughs>
2: and
1: I was like, oh my God, this is so deep. Let's get Sarah on this like, <laughs> before I even get into it. No idea. Really? Okay, Sorry. here's my opinion. Um,
0: <laughs> Don't care either.
1: <laughs> okay, not only is a hot dog a sandwich, if you look at the technical definition of a sandwich, right, which is like two pieces of bread and then stuff in the middle so that it can be held in one hand and enjoyed, but it is the ultimate sandwich because the bread is attached a little bit by a sliver, right? So it's not going to fall apart even if eaten one-handed.
0: Did I just say on your social media that you ate a a hot dog
2: recently? Did you just like tweet about
0: this? Was that you or someone else?
2: I can't imagine that was me. It was Kevin asking if it's a sandwich. No, no, but I thought
0: your social media, by the way, is very interesting to me, especially your Instagram. I don't – which I want to talk about when we talk about your book because you have – interesting things to say about technology in your book, which I know you've been actually, uh, in, a lot of people have been engaging your views on technology. I think those are the biggest critiques of this mm-hmm. book that I've seen.
1: Yeah. Yo, is conflict abuse or is it not abuse? Let's take it to the round table. Let's do it.
0: All right, so, we're really good. That was the seamless, I. you know what, I'm blowing it, but that How was a pretty good this? transition for us. Good it's good our third we? episode, we're really sucking at these transitions, but that was pretty good. But
1: today we nailed it. I know,
0: okay, so Sarah, mm-hmm. conflict, versus abuse. Mm-hmm. They're two separate things. Mm-hmm. You talk about them in your new book. right? And right at the start, you in the introduction, you lay out sort of the three tiers um, that you're gonna discuss. You're gonna talk about interpersonal violence and you use Ray Rice uh, beating, was she pregnant at the time?
2: I don't know. Okay,
0: but beating his wife and-
2: And ma- knocking her unconscious in an elevator and, and dragging, dragging her, her out by her heels mm. into the lobby. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So that's the first one for interpersonal. I still
2: can't forget that video.
1: I see it like as though I were looking at it. It's so unforgettable.
0: Um, I, I you can't, saw it right? Yeah, but I try to block all that shit. I, I can't, can't like whenever there's like a video of a police officer beating like a young woman. I don't or watch those. Or Pulling That's her too out hard. of her chair at school. I just can't watch those. Yeah, know those suck. But I do know that story. Um, and then the other thing you talk about the next level is the state against people mm-hmm. and you use the example of Eric Garner being choked to death while he's saying I think 11 times I can't breathe mm-hmm. and then you talk about nations fighting mm-hmm. and you talk about Israel and specifically Gaza Gaza. in
2: 2014 yes
0: so those are the three things so you you sort of this isn't um an academic book in the sense that you're like creating a thesis and then supporting it you actually it's uh, the way it's constructed I thought was really beautiful it's just sort of these snapshots of like what you're
2: thinking that's actually
1: a good point is this supposed to be academic
2: no I think I say at the beginning I'm not an academic
1: are you not? But you no. are a professor.
2: Yeah, but I, I never went to graduate school. Mm. I, I'm like an art teacher. I teach fiction writing. So actually, no, I'm not an academic. Um, no, I, I, I ask people to read it the way that they would watch a play, like not to say this play is right, but to say, oh, this play reveals human contradiction. Mm. So it's actually, oh, I think it's of it as a, a work of art, but it's the art of nonfiction. So I don't really ask readers to agree with me necessarily. And there's so many ideas in this book, it would be impossible to agree with them all. Mm. So um, I don't claim that the book is right. I just want people to think about stuff and produce new knowledge. That's the goal.
0: Why did you write this book?
2: Well, I noticed that this confusion between conflict and abuse is pervasive on every level of society in our time. And the election has just proven that even more so. But why don't I start with definitions? Let's do that. Okay, so for me, um, abuse is power over and conflict is power struggle.
0: Who gave you that definition? I got that
2: from Catherine Hodes, who is a, an expert in New York City on uh, domestic violence and battered women. And she trains social workers who work with domestic violence. And this is, is the definition that she's using. So what's, what happens is conflict, which is power struggle often gets falsely represented as abuse, which is power over, so that the people in conflict do not have to take responsibility for their role in contri- in escalating and creating the problem. It's easier to just say, I'm being victimized, and use that as a smokescreen so that we don't have to be self-critical. Now, I'm not saying that there's not real abuse. There is, and New York City is in a crisis state of abuse. You know, we have... Um, I think it's 46,000 domestic abuse arrests a year in New York City, 800 calls to the police a day. There is real abuse all the time, power over. But there's this trope in the culture of people, for example, Donald Trump is a great example. He's constantly telling us how he's being victimized. Just yesterday, he said that there were two million illegal votes. (laughs) I mean, he's constantly- I love him so much. (laughs) You know, he, and so here's a here's a person who has, you know, every all kinds of power, all the power that a person can have. He has, and he depicts himself as victimized. So, I mean, that's the ultimate expression. Of oh my this. gosh, it's going to be the funnest four years ever.
0: I, I mean, it's horrifying. So you said we're at day one of fascism. So yeah. So what do you think that that means? Do you have an image of where we're going?
2: Well, this is what we know so far. Well, first of all, we know that we're on a runaway train that we can't control. And that we're living in, history is happening to our lives. Our entire society is changing, and we can't do anything about it right now. But what we're watching is, we're just watching him amass the thugs that are going to take down our society. So, you know, the the Secretary of Education is against public education. The Secretary of Health is against health. You know this is this is the the road that we're on. Um, it's it's so terrifying and and it's going to be horrible. There's no way this is not going to be awful.
0: What does that mean? It's what does mm-hmm. that mean in New York City? Okay, so let's start mm-hmm. here and then move outward because I do feel like I get a little bit trapped in just looking at where we are because I think it's better here and I think we're protected. And this is something De Blasio has been saying. Do you agree with him that he that there are checks in place? to protect New York City from the federal government? Well, it depends
2: on how intent Washington is on enforcing their new policies. I mean, for example, let's look at the City University where I teach. You know, we have thousands of undocumented students. And the City University is 40% immigrant, recent immigrant, right now. And our chancellor um, issued a statement saying that we will do everything we can to protect our students. That means that we would not share information with any kind of anti-immigrant program, that our students are undocumented and all this kind of stuff. But what if the government decides to enforce that, let's say militarily, for example, just so, you, know, uh, you know, as we've seen in the past? Well, NYPD probably voted for Trump.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, if we're
2: relied on relying on NYPD to stand up to some kind of n- federal force, that's not going to work. But
1: at the same time, Trump also said that he wants to strengthen states' rights at the expense of federal rights. So, wouldn't that give the states on more some autonomy? Issues.
2: But did he say that about immigration? I he don't didn't think say so. He said it about now. abortion. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I think immigrate. I, we don't know. We the thing with That's him right. is we don't
1: know. We nothing, nothing has happened.
2: But also, well, what's happened is the people that he's appointed yeah. and right. who they are. That is real. Right. The problem, one of the problems with him is that nothing that he says is reliable. Mm-hmm. So he'll say, "I'm not pressing charges against Hillary Clinton," but that doesn't mean that he's not.
1: Right. But he also said he would, and then he then now he's not.
2: Right. But so we have so the, no idea. So I think you know he's don't. a person who just lies compulsively all the time and. Listening to him speak is going to make us all crazy. We have to focus on what, what he does. But he
1: does what everybody does, but to a more pathological extreme. Everybody lies. Every single person lies to themselves and other people all day long. But he's the president, and he's also a multimillionaire businessman, so it's especially egregious coming from him, but... What we see in Trump is ourselves reflected back at us. That's why it's so ugly.
2: But when you say that 2 million votes are illegal and you have no evidence of that, mm-hmm. what you're doing is you're inflaming an extremist population that sees themselves as extremely victimized. And, th- and and that is how he got into office.
1: Sure, but what was the response to that? The response was Jill Stein uh, demanded this whole recount effort. And that doesn't seem super toxic to me.
2: No, I think his statement was a response to her. Uh, she came first. Asking oh, him is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. She
0: did, and then the Clinton campaign. He didn't respond. I don't think until well, the were... Clinton campaign signed on to. But the let's. I mean, efforts. let's
2: just go to the the core of his support. Yes. Okay, so it's. But like, do
0: you think that they're victimized? You said that they feel victimized. Do he, you not think his he base? He
2: manipulates is? their sense of themselves as victims, and that they're victimized by gross conspiracies. Well,
0: they might be, but just not the ones that he's talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Right.
2: right. Well, for example, I mean... One of his base constituencies are white people who've been in this country for two or three hundred years, who are very far away from immigration, who've had no upward mobility, who have never gotten educated and have worked multi-generationally in factories and mines, let's say. Now there are no more factories, right? So they have no social role. Besides having no money, Mm. they have no social function. And we're seeing escalating um, addiction in rural white America, uh, even on Staten Island, where there is an, a heroin overdose every three days, right? So, um, and, and this is a, a community that has not been able to, to access social mobility. So instead of the reality, which is that they don't have jobs because people like Donald Trump have globalized these jobs to increase their profit rate, the 1%, they're blaming it on immigrants. It has nothing to do with immigrants. It's a false, so, you know, the, he, people like him instill a false fear in them as a smokescreen, so that his own complicity is not revealed.
1: And yet, a lot of people who also came into this country as immigrants also voted for Trump. Like, so how do you account or for that?
2: But what is a lot? Yes, it's, I mean, a, a percentage that's higher than than I'm personally comfortable with, but not a majority. I mean, it's very interesting to see how people voted. I'm per- very interested in the Jewish vote. It was mm-hmm. fascinating because uh you know 53% of white people voted for Trump. Mm. But 71% of Jews voted for Clinton. So Jews voted so differently than white people. But
0: does that include religious Jews? Yes. It all, does. including does. Do we know of that?
1: They especially vote as a block. The, the but whole they vote Republican. Thing. They voted for
0: Trump. They vote for Trump, yeah.
2: But mm. the fact that Jews voted at twice the rate for Clinton as white people is fascinating. Right? Well, in
0: a group within Jews that I think is really interesting, and this is anecdotal, I don't know numbers, but I know a lot of people from the Syrian community, from the Sephardic community in South Brooklyn, these are all all very recent immigrants like their parents people are age, Karen and in their 30s their parents who moved here in the 60s Speak and 70s for yourself, but, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but their parents all recent immigrants uh, a lot of them were like kicked out of Egypt they mm-hmm. all voted for Trump all my friends all my Syrian friends parents that's what I'm saying is that well, then so they're that
2: 29% but just to get back to but that yes, vote anyway, for sorry. a second what's interesting is that Trump and Hillary had had in fact have, were both had the same position vis-a-vis Israel. In fact, Hillary's position on Israel was more aligned with APAC even than Trump. So it means that these Jews who voted for Clinton were not voting on Israel. They were mm-hmm. voting on the whole agenda. They were looking at Trump and saying, no way. Whereas white people were saying yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a very interesting Does distinction. Does that
0: come down to this election being about white supremacy? Winning.
2: It's about white people being persuaded to blame their problems on people of color. So this is what your
0: whole book is about: is about yes. creating a false premise on which to claim abuse exactly. from someone. Exactly.
2: This election proves my thesis completely. Okay, congratulations! Yes. Thank you. <laughs> you must be thrilled. I'm <laughs> <That was> horrible.
0: <laughs> Great for on sales. This <laughs> election. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so but that's interesting. So is this is the conversation that we now need to be having? I mean, we need to have a lot of conversations, but. Do we need to be talking about whiteness as a as a toxic uh, part of society?
1: How could whiteness, how could the incidental color of your skin possibly be toxic to an entire society? It's ideal. I don't know that. that, that are toxic is, is skin color, color incidental. It's I didn't choose it. Well,
0: but that makes it uh, in that. Respect, it is incidental, but there's a whole construction around that in society,
1: right? But but so but then you need to make a distinction. Are you talking about whiteness the color or whiteness at like uh, as a social construct?
0: I don't know how to answer that question. I literally mean white people. So how is do we need to be talking about whiteness? Because that's what I hear people talking. about. Well, we around. always
2: need to be talking about how white people blame people of color for the their problems that people of color do not cause. This is consistently true. This is why the police kill a black man for reading a book in his car, because they feel threatened by him because they feel an interior anxiety called racism Mm -hmm. that they exteriorize to pretend that this man is threatening them.
1: But how can we lump all white people together as a group as though they all think similarly? You can't do that with any other group of people.
2: I don't think I'm doing that, and I don't think that that matters. I think that what matters is we just got Donald Trump elected because uh, 53% of white people are blaming people of color for things that they are not responsible for.
1: Right, but 47% are not, and so we can't lump in any giant group of people made of millions and millions of individuals as one block. Right, but those of us who are not
2: are big enough to take the critique and understand why it's out there and not personalize it. I
1: guess, well, when you say white people and I'm white, I guess it is somewhat personal just because I'm a white person. And I I chafe at the thought of apologizing for something I didn't do.
2: Well, I think it's more important that we take whatever advantages we have and whatever powers we have to try to transform the country that we're living in. But that's not I where we're, we're not there right now. Okay, We're not in any position to transform anything. We are waiting for the ball to drop. We're waiting for it to see... Where is this going to come down? What's going to happen first? Is it going to be abortion? Is it going to be 20 million people losing their health care? Is it going to be the end of public education? You know, we definitely know that he's going to remove all restrictions on industry regarding um, pollution and any, you know, contributing to climate change. We know that that's going down. We know that
1: 100% for a fact.
2: I think that basic Reaganomics. Is where we're going to go first. This is my prediction, but he's cutting
0: know. all the tax breaks up top.
2: Right. Yeah. Tax breaks to the rich, and therefore everything that's funded by those taxes is goes down the drain. Right. Mm. And then removing restraint on, on corporate okay. profit. The arts are so fucked.
0: It's like really. Have you seen the Giving Tuesday? Today's Giving Tuesday when we're recording this. Whatever. It's the Tuesday after Thanksgiving. Every single. Have you noticed this? Every Giving Tuesday from like every arts organization. Every post that I've seen today is like. <gasps> This is gonna be a really hard four years. But you know We I mean, need your support.
2: It's it's I think it's longer than four years. But one you think thing it's I mean, eight or you think it's I think it's a dismantling of a whole way of life. But one thing about what you're saying about the arts is American artists have never been supported by the government. So American artists are used to roughing it on a certain level. It's mm-hmm. the institutions that will be in trouble.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mean like the nonprofit theaters, the museums, things like yeah,
2: that? Yeah, not that those organizations have actually been serving the population for a while. They I serve mean, a population, especially yeah, in New York. Yeah, but I mean the the, the theaters of New York. Yeah, is there anything more conservative than the New York theater? Oh my god! Probably I mean, uh, you not. know, Lincoln
0: Center puts on the most beautiful shows that have absolutely nothing to do with my life, and I'm a white person. Yeah. But they're just you know, it's a be- beautiful stage. Well,
1: you're a dirty Irishman, so let's <laughs> not lump ourselves in. Well, and it's
0: interesting to hear you, Karen, talking about your whiteness because you are white but also but like,
1: kind of not
0: but you're a Jew yeah. so like a lot of Jews I know don't really identify this was one thing that my ex used to say is like we don't identify as anything but Jewish because the Jews who identified as Germans were all killed
2: well, I don't know about that, but I will tell you, anti-Semitism is back in a big way. Has it been gone? It Really,
1: never went away. You no, know,
2: but I mean, when a guy like Bannon is appointed, I mean, yeah. no one yeah. like that could have been appointed oh, before man. a few years. Ago. I mean, You're a few right. weeks ago.
1: So, okay, here's my question. It's perfect. That's that you what said scares that. me the most. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. They just said that because I remember the last time you were here, um, you we were talking about something that you'd said, kind of jokingly, but I was like, "Is this really a joke?" About how. Uh, Jewish people have no business being in Israel and they should all just come to New York because New York is super Jew-friendly. And I know you said it kind of tongue-in-cheek, but... I think that's funny. (laughs) I don't think I said it
2: here. I think that that's something that's been retweeted about me endlessly by right-wing Zionist organizations because of the 5,000 things I've said, one time I made an aside and said, well, the best place for Jews is New York. And what they do is they (laughs) seize these things and they bombard you... Uh, on Twitter. So, I mean, come on, that's not my, that's really not my, the foundation of my thinking. No,
1: no, I don't think it's the foundation of your thinking. <laughs> that's, that's kind of not what I'm saying at all. Um, <laughs> what I'm saying is that, um, do you, I, I understand that's like not, I get it. But do you still feel that this country is more Jew-friendly than Israel, for example, especially considering the appointment of Steve Bannon, how resurgent I uh, never the swastika country, it, graffiti on the freaking mm-hmm. subway. I've never seen that before in my life. Not once. No,
2: anti-Semitism is, is being legitimized again in for our sure. time in the United States. For sure. Uh, Israel is getting worse and worse every day. I mean, now we're seeing things in the last two weeks. We've seen laws against the Muslim call a prayer as noise pollution. We've seen expansion of settlements, I think, three days ago. You know, I mean, uh, in the New York Times today, they were listing, you know, what are what are already the global impacts of Trumpism? And the very first thing was settler expansion in Israel. So Israel is using Trump's election to be even more brutal, even more in violation of international law, et cetera. So I don't consider that a positive alternative.
1: You don't consider what a positive alternative? The, the that type of
2: society.
1: Israeli society.
2: A society that's in a constant state of illegality against... a a population that they're subordinating
1: well that's interesting that you should say that because the palestinian population now i i read your whole book the whole thing cover to cover introduction to acknowledgement you've said
0: that several times i (laughs) will continue to say it on this
1: entire podcast this is time number 12 out of a thousand um but what was i saying
0: um you were talking. She Sarah made uh, the the right point about this oh, 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 expansion and subordinating another group of people being so, wrong. So, right?
1: through your definitions of conflict and abuse are really really specific, and you insert into them this idea of power structures that that abuse inherently implies that someone has power over another person, which I disagree with. I think abuse can occur on a lot of levels, not necessarily just if someone is quote unquote subordinating or whatever another population and on the palestinian side there are also a ton of human rights abuses illegalities and violations of international law that weren't mentioned at all in this book like at all do you know what i'm saying okay, well, like you it's just like exclusive five exclusive domain I disagree of the so let's start with the top let's get it
2: so i mean my entire book is about it's a my book is about conflict right and it's about how power struggle gets misrepresented as power over for, in for order for people to abdicate responsibility. Okay, and I, and I discuss that this happens in a lot of different contexts. One is when the person has a supremacy ideology about themselves. In other words, they feel that they are inherently superior and therefore no one should oppose them and everyone should do what they say. But the other structure is when someone comes from a trauma position. Where their their sense of self is so fragilely constructed that they almost can't handle being self-critical because they feel that they'll fall apart and they can't keep it together. Okay. What's interesting about the Jewish mentality around Israel is that it's a product of both. It originates in a trauma position that constructed a a, a group mentality in which we cannot f- be honestly self-critical because of this. Tra- this re- constant restating of this traumatic fear of a second Holocaust or the consequences of the last Holocaust, and and simultaneously with having the supremacy position, which is inherent in a lot of people who support the Israeli state, where many Jews really believe that Jews have should have more kinds of rights than Arabs. They they see Arabs in, as inferior on some level, and they do not want a partner in an equal way with Arabs. And if you do not want to partner Mm -hmm. with the people that you are opposing, you cannot have productive negotiation.
1: Well, my issue is this. First of all, that's some Jews and not all of them. Again, we're talking about millions and millions of people who are all individuals.
2: But you are definitely
0: talking about the the state of Israel.
2: Right.
1: The current government. The current Israeli state. I don't argue with that. That's correct. But, um... God damn it, Tommy. What? (laughs) (laughs) Um... uh, (laughs) Okay. Fuck me.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. It's cool. But you think about your next point about Israel. But, but,
2: but just to get back to the abuse concept. So <laughs> yes. the Israeli government... The abuse concept, Tommy. The Israeli government is, con- just like Trump, is constantly using abuse tropes to justify being oh, a perpetrator. Okay. So they're always saying, like, mm. we're under attack. We're being threatened. We are endangered. Actually, the Israeli state is the perpetrator.
1: But and Palestinians Palestinian, do the exact same thing. The people But these the are government. not
2: equal entities... One is an entirely subordinated pe- per- people, and the other is a is a highly funded militarized state.
1: But you know, not for lack of trying. I mean, in 1947 and 1948, when Israel was fighting its war of independence, um, before Israel was even a tiny fledgling state, full of people who had just fresh off the Holocaust, uh, there was already a war where all the arab countries surrounding them attacked and had no expectation of losing whatsoever and at the conclusion of that war the parts of israel which had been annexed by arab forces there in that there were no jews left there there were no jews there they they were all kicked out or killed now in the israeli part there were thousands and thousands of palestinians still there who who continue to live there to this day and whose population has exploded into the millions you don't think that they didn't try to be the oppressing power
2: i want to say that really honestly i don't agree with anything that you just said i mean but it's history no i have an entirely different history and i don't think it's helpful to to review because i think we did it last time and many other people have done that probably but in, in in the contemporary moment when the, the Israeli state uses the language of themselves being victimized and abused when actually they have the power to, and they did, use aerial warfare to murder 2,000 civilians during the Gaza War in, in 2014 while describing themselves as endangered. And that is exactly the trope that my book describes. Mm-hmm. And what I'm trying to say is that people do that in their intimate relationships Mm-hmm. People say, oh, my boyfriend, he's an abuser, he's a harasser, he's stalking me. And like sometimes that's true, and sometimes that's not true. And those are just words that people use because they don't want to actually talk about what mm-hmm. they're doing or why they can't negotiate. But
1: the truth is that Israel has always been under an existential threat from the, not just its Arab neighbors, but specifically from Palestinians. And in your book, you wrote, there was a specific paragraph, I think it was towards the end, where you wrote, um, you know, we as Jews... Uh, have this obligation as the good friends to point out to ourselves and each other where we've erred and where we've been wrong, um, and come clean about it and apologize. And this is the role of the good friend to say, um, th- "This is where you've been wrong." Um, to illuminate this for them, and that, and but because Israel's constantly under threat and in a state of war, that sounds like if your friend came up to you and said, "My husband beats me," and you go, "Well, um, have you tried getting dinner ready on time?" Because I'm just trying to be a good friend. Maybe that'll help. Like that's seems like blaming people who are also victims of violence all the time
2: I don't agree with your assessment I think that there's a feeling that it's wrong to to critique the militarized society that Israel is because people feel disloyal And so they're living in a place in which they cannot think things through and they're unable to object.
1: Surely you know that that's not true. There's demonstrations, people that I know, relatives of mine, young people, older people, all the time in Israel protesting the occupation. Tons of people have a strong political opinion anti-
2: well, one of the examples that I give here is, um, has to do with the argument, and I'm sure you're familiar with this argument, that American Jews are supposed to support Israel because their relatives live there. Mm. That there's a biological argument that's used. That And there's, a, there's a, a type of loyalty that's implied in that, which is that you're supposed to support people who you resemble biologically, regardless of what they do. And, and, and this is, you know, a lot of family loyalty systems are based on this. Racism is based on this concept that For you're sure. supposed to be identified with people who you're biologically similar to. Hmm. Um, and this is not getting us anywhere positive. No, you know, this is
1: a evolutionary holdover from when we were monkeys. I mean, this is like how monkey society works is the, the person who looks like me is on. Right. So side. to get back
2: to the ori- to Tommy's original question about white supremacy and racism and the Trump election. Yeah. Um, It's it's this inability to identify with people based on their experience and instead looking at them only categorically based on their citizenship status or their ethnicity or race.
1: Right. Which I find people do to Israelis all the time. Israelis do this. Israelis feel this way. And the truth is, Israel is a massively diverse society. And I think we talked about this the last time, too. And you pointed out that Arab society is the same way. You know, there's like a parallel on both sides.
2: Well, I think Trump started this by when he announced his uh, run for presidency. He just he described Mexicans as rapists. I mean, this is how he started this whole trope. Right. And and here we are today wondering, is there really going to be a Muslim registry or not? In fact, the head of the ADL, Mm -hmm. the head of the Anti-Defamation League, which is a group I usually do not agree with. Came out and said that if there was a registration of Muslims, Jews should all go register and say that they're Muslims. That's a very if, Jewish thing to say.
0: Well, <laughs> well. So this is interesting because you're talking about like identifying with the pack, you're you're with the people that look like you or whatever. And something that I would like to bring up that's not in your book is uh, if this is okay, you can tell me if it's not. But you raised the concept of normalization to me uh, when I reached out to you to see. If you could help connect me to any queer Palestinians mm-hmm. that we could talk to on the show. Oh, hell yeah. Okay, so what was interesting was that you your response to me uh, was very interesting because right. you sort of identified with the PAC in your response saying that it's your responsibility. I'll let you take it from there.
2: Well normalization is a Palestinian concept, mm-hmm. right Where Palestinians don't want to be put in positions where they have to where, they're, where it's normalized for them to argue with pro-Israeli Jews about their humanity. About whether they have the right to international law, about whether they should be able to have passports, about basic human things. So, when they're asked to be put into a position where they would have to debate with somebody on those terms, it normalizes the dehumanized position. And so, they don't want to do it. Mm. And I understand that, but for someone like me, and I'm a member of Jewish Voice for Peace, you know, so I'm part of the community of Jews, the ever-growing community of Jews in America who oppose the occupation. It's that's a that, that's something right. that you
0: can appreciate. You can see that happening. Yes, yes, the growth.
2: So. It's my responsibility to, to have these discussions because they're not as implicating in in the same way as they would be for someone who would have to debate their own right to exist.
0: You are not speaking to a German in 1939 as a Polish Jew trying to explain. Is that well, I the probably view? would have
2: done that then, but this is normalization <laughs> is an it's a it's an official policy.
0: Okay, so I actually Googled it and I couldn't find a lot of. Stuff you have to look at PAC-B, PACBI,
2: P A C B I, the Palestine Academic and Cultural Boycott of Israel. Okay, and and look. For under normalization this is where is this
0: the organization that laid out like the bds movement okay interesting boycott divestment sanctions do
1: you talk to jews um or zionists who are of a more moderate position like for well here's the reason that i ask is because in your book there seems to be two types of jews that are incorporated into this uh, narrative, right? There's the kind that is totally unapologetic and thinks that I, some. There's somewhere in your book, everything Israel does is right, is what these is what they have to believe so that they don't have to introspect or be self-reflexive at all. And then the other kind is really apologetic, saying like your friend who you also quote at the end of the book, who says, um, "In my lifetime, I'm going to be a Palestinian Jew," which I mean that's just oh, fucking Dorit crazy, Naman, but yeah. right. I mean, you know, whatever about that. But but the question is. Those are two extremes, right? The the kind of Jew that thinks Israel is always right, which is also crazy, and the kind that thinks Israel shouldn't even exist as a Jewish state. But actually,
2: I quote many, many more diverse voices than that because I actually reproduce entire Facebook threads.
1: I saw that <laughs>
2: with every single possible position that you can imagine. And interestingly, uh, in my section on Gaza, I talk about how these, you know, when the three settler boys were kidnapped and murdered. And the Netanyahu government knew that they were dead, but pretended that they didn't know where they were. Mm-hmm. And that this lie helped stir up all kinds of vigilanteism. Yeah. And that finally, in the end, the real story about the government lying was revealed by the Jewish Daily Forward.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, and that's so interesting that it was a yeah. Jewish paper that actually revealed that story. So yeah. I think, you know, we are seeing a, a wide diversity. You know, a wide, diverse collection of perspectives.
1: And you made a good point also that the conflict is between, it's not all Israelis versus all Palestinians, it's Likud versus Hamas. It's like, it's a specific, it's specific actors on both sides who have, well, I mean, now, now I'm saying this, and I don't know if you would agree, but yeah, that agree. they have a veva, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. This is how I see it, though, which is why I thought we were agreeing. <laughs> um <laughs> that there's actors on both sides specifically people in power who have a vested interest in the status quo that they don't want anything to change and that's just as true on the Palestinian side as it is on the side of Likud
2: now what I was saying was that the New York Times uses language like Israel and Hamas Hamas is not Gaza right it's not Palestine Hamas is a political party right so either they need to say Israel and Palestine or they need to say Likud and Hamas Yes. But I was saying that they were not using the correct false equivalent. equivocation. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's interesting. I want to bring it back to the United States for a little mm-hmm. bit, kind of talking about what we're talking about right now, where now we're entering this new phase. And it sounds like you're anticipating a lot of state-sanctioned abuses, Sarah.
2: Probably start. I would say starting with just defunding public services because of the tax cuts.
0: Is that an act? Is that an abusive act?
2: Well, I mean if you take away I mean look you could you could <laughs> say that this white uh working class vote for for Trump is a consequence of having an inadequate educational system. I mean most most advanced countries have uh, higher education. I mean McGill University is the same price as the College of Staten Island and mm-hmm. and Germany get, offers free university education for foreigners. So the fact that Americans cannot get higher education is part of the problem, and it's only going to get worse when we have tax cuts. I mean, right now, de Blasio wants to... I mean, uh, Cuomo wants to just gut CUNY, and it's only going to get worse Mm -hmm. on that level.
0: Okay, so with something like Israel and Palestine, Mm -hmm. with where we're heading here, we're talking about these abuses. How, How after these are solved, if they're solved... If you can find some compromise, how do the two sides come back together after one's been abusive to the You're other? You're jumping
2: the gun, Tommy, because it it hasn't unfolded yet. You know, well,
0: Israel and Palestine. How's okay? But I'm
2: talking about the United States. Okay. You know, I was 22 when Reagan was elected. I'm 58 now. Seven months later, AIDS started. Right, and then Reagan didn't say the word AIDS for eight years. In those first five years, forty thousand people died. To date, 600,000 people have died of AIDS in the United States. So this was my entire 20s, was watching my friends suffer and die because Ronald Reagan was president. So I I, I already have a picture of how something like this unfolds. Mm-hmm. And it has to do with literal suffering and, and death and pain and abandonment and destruction of generations. And, you know, and I, I think it's... It's foolish to think that something like that isn't going to happen again. Only it's going to be to a different communities, different communities. Who do
1: you think is going to be the target of that? Is it going to be women or people of color?
2: It's women who don't who want to resist motherhood. Um, immigrants. People of color subjected to state violence, mm-hmm. increased police violence and Muslims. So,
1: I have this bet going with um, a young communist that I met the other week and he The cute one. <laughs> he's all right. I don't know if he's listening. I don't want to blow his head up, but um <laughs> you know how it is. But okay, so he he was like, I was like, how could I not take this bet?" He said, "Okay, these are the parameters of the bet. Within the next 6 years, we, somewhere in those 6 years within a 1 month Time span, but it could be anywhere in the next six years. A million people are going to die as the direct result of federal forces, whatever that means.
0: How Who's is that even win? quantifiable? Who, I don't understand that.
1: But, but even, well, let's I say mean, I don't understand were, that
2: statement, but we do know that, like, let's just look at New York City hospitals, for example. They're already so dysfunctional and horrible. And then imagine them with slash budget cuts, and then imagine 20 million people losing their medical uh, insurance. So, yes, you would see that's death. That produces death. I don't know this guy's numbers, but, um, you know, I mean, taxes pay for everything, right? They pay for Mm streetlights. So, but we also have an emboldened police force that's increasingly violent. So this is what I don't understand, because
0: at the same time he's going to be cutting all these taxes, he wants to run a huge deficit and, like, basically do a stimulus package, which I think is...
2: I don't think that he even understands what he's wants to do to be honest I mean, that's well the he's not afraid to so bankrupt scary. the company
0: we know that
2: yeah the, see the, the second part of. I mean first is this fear because of who these horrible people are that he's putting in power but then there's this other fear that they don't know how to do the job even well, how, who's they the do know how to do it badly Mitch but.
0: McConnell's wife I forget her name he just appointed her today she actually was the first one that I've been like okay she's not evil he but I don't know he appointed her to what I missed this oh gosh is was she transportation now oh, she was, was under George W. Bush
1: Elaine mm. Chao. Yes, okay. she was
0: under. She was in uh, W's cabinet as well, but in a different role. Um, but that was the first one that I didn't think was completely off the fucking wall. Okay, so. I just want to go back to the United States in the moment that we're in for a minute and talk about conflict. Mm -hmm. Because one thing that everybody's been talking about is how do you survive the holidays with your family? How do you talk about politics? So after this, what I think was a really toxic election, and I was, I think, hilarious the night of the election, trolling everybody who was having these hillary meltdowns oh god well i just i mean i didn't really understand the hillary mommy thing that was happening i understood fear but i didn't understand what i thought this like cult of personality yeah i don't get the
1: cult of hillary either
0: well i just i mean she she
1: also sucks
0: I like the Green Party because it's an anti war party. I don't like Jill Stein, but I like the Green Party. I really like Ajamu Baraka. I really like Rosa Clemente. I think that they're interesting voices. I would like to see them promoted more. So I voted for the Green Party in Brooklyn, where it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And just
1: I mean, but I I wasn't
0: I wasn't putting shit out there other than like a funny little like, oh, at like two AM after it was clear. I was like, as a Stein voter, I understand a lot of you want to hear from me right now, (laughs) JK. (laughs) That's funny. That's not like I was trying. I mean, maybe it wasn't too soon for humor, but that's beside the point. Boo! The, the it's never rage, too soon for humor. The rage that I I received from family members, from friends, from people that I grew up with, mm. in my inboxes because of this. I hope well, you're like proud you of personally yourself. Personally,
1: got him elected. I hope
0: you're satisfied. All these, you should be ashamed of yourself. Was one thing that somebody told me. I mean, it's true, but me. not for that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, but I didn't. I didn't personalize any of it. Honestly, I understood that this was like a singular moment, and everybody was losing their shit. But how do we? How do we move beyond these political differences? Okay, that so we what have? do
2: we do now? Is, is, is that the question? That That's you're the asking? question, yeah. All right, well, you know, I, as you know, I run the ACT UP Oral History Project, and I've, I'm an AIDS historian, and I've interviewed 187 surviving members of ACT UP New York over the last 16 years. Mm-hmm. So I have quite a bit of insight into how that movement succeeded and it was really our last social movement to be successful is AIDS activism, not that AIDS is over but that it, it did create social transformation so here's some of the things that they did right. Mm-hmm. One thing was that they did not operate on a consensus model so if you wanted to do if you wanted to go to the Lower East Side and do needle exchange to provoke a trial so that needle exchange programs would become legal in New York and I didn't want to, I wouldn't try to stop you from doing it I just wouldn't do it. I would go to St. Patrick's Cathedral and disrupt mass because the Catholic Church is trying to keep condoms out of the public schools. Mm -hmm. Were you there when they did that?
0: Yes, I was. Uh, Wow, you're the original Pussy Riot. That's right.
2: (laughs) So, in other words, to understand that people can only be where they're at, and that's, you know, you have to be kind of an adult to understand that, but that simultaneity of response is very, very important to building a healthy movement. And so people have to be able to do the things that they need to do, and if you don't want to do it, don't do it, but don't try to stop them. So no consensus. And this means broad coalition, extremely broad Um, It is not, although um, there's a myth of American individualism, it is not individuals who make social change. It's coalitions of diverse communities. And in order to be in coalition, you have to be flexible. Because the people you're in coalition with, they're going to be things you don't agree with. And that's just the way it goes. So I would say to drop micro critiques. Build coalitions, support existing organizations. That's very important. So whatever your affinities are, whether it's Jewish Voice for Peace, Palestine Legal, or Planned Parenthood, and ACLU, or, you know... Uh,
0: lefty, lefty, you're giving me all lefty. What if somebody wants well, to go ACLU right?
2: ACLU and Planned Parenthood are not lefty. These are centrist organizations. But the, the bar has moved. Or whether it's just the Democratic Party, wherever you're at, sure. supporting and reinforcing existing organizations is very important. And being effective... You know, forget about empty theory. It's really not the time for that. It's polarizing and it's paralyzing. And many people have never been involved in a political movement, and this is the time to get involved. And if you don't know how, just go and ask them what they need you to do. Like, ask the question. Like, for example, uh, I'm the faculty advisor to Students for Justice in Palestine at my school, and I work with a lot of religious Muslim girls who wear hijab, and Staten Island went for Trump. So the first day after he was elected, I asked them what they needed, and I saw on Facebook that they wanted self-defense classes. So I helped. I found somebody who teaches self-defense for women and helped put them together. Like, ask people, ask people what they need, you know, and that's a good place to start.
0: Okay. So uh, considering that, like if it's about that, what if, you in, what if we encounter somebody who isn't really willing to meet us where we're at? What's the next step? How do you disengage or how do you engage?
2: Well, give me an example.
0: Okay, so you're sitting at the table and somebody will not budge on immigration. You're sitting at whatever holiday Yeah, but, but that's like table. an empty... This is empty it, theory you're It doesn't about. matter. Yeah. Okay, Call so, up
2: the dreamers and ask them how you can help them. How
0: do you humanize people to people that are wrapped up in this empty theory? I it's guess that's I, what I, it I don't is.
2: think that it works that way. Okay. Because, you know, most people... Change is made by a very small group of people. Most people do not participate in an effective way. They may be mean to their relatives, but they don't actually impact... You know, so um, it's not about, I mean, in a a voting situation, you know, Hillary got two million extra um, votes ahead, but it wasn't strategically placed, right? And that has to do with how the campaign was run and whatever. But from a grassroots organizing perspective, it's not about persuading everyone to feel the way you do. It's about building relationships with people who are active and who are being effective.
0: Okay, so you talk about ACT UP. This was... People dying. That's yes. it was. That's, well, that's what that's
2: where we're talking about here.
0: Okay, so that that's where you think that that's where the stakes are with Trump's election.
2: We're talking about people dying, but we're also talking about people suffering.
0: Okay, so it's really about ending human suffering. How do you get people to care about that without getting theoretical? That's what I mean. How do you? But if you they get, don't
2: care, forget about them. That's not the just point. Move the on. point is to is to work with people who know how to be effective and who are committed, because those are the people who are actually going to transform the society it's like on abortion you know, or Israel even it's not worth it at a certain point to argue Mm -hmm. with somebody who's diametrically opposed to you because it just goes around and around Mm -hmm. just build your constituency and build your movement well
0: I see this a lot on your Facebook page you have one of the most engaged group of Facebook friends of anybody I know you get like 600 likes on everything that you put up there so do you get a lot of shit?
2: I have three categories of trolls yes I'm endlessly trolled by all kinds of people yeah
0: Okay, what are the three categories?
2: Um, ultra Zionists who say that I'm a Nazi terrorist and would put my grandmother in a boxcar. <laughs> Don't look
1: at me. <laughs> Here's the three types: Karen, Tommy.
2: <laughs>
0: okay, that's disgusting.
1: Yeah. Okay. No, no, no one. People who that. hate
2: trans people because I'm, I'm, even though I'm not trans, I'm in the trans community and I have been for decades. And there's a group of people who hate trans people and they troll me. Mm. And then there's this weird group of queer people who believe that this book is pro police, even though my whole book is about it's not police. Yes.
1: Okay. Did they read it, or no. did they read it how I read your last book? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they didn't read it. And they
2: have been tro- They have been just writing shit on Tumblr and um, spamming my invita- my invitations to events, saying that I'm pro police, even though I'm not. This is
0: queer people. Where? Why? Why? Do you know?
2: Because I think that they're afraid that I, they don't understand what the book's about and they're misreading the title and they won't bother to read it. So it's just like a rumor mill type thing.
1: In fairness, when I read the title, I was like, yeah, Tommy, conflict is not abuse. Take that. I can't wait to talk to her about this.
0: <laughs> and then you read uh, the introduction. So I did miss the point. <laughs> <laughs> so I get it. <laughs> um okay, interesting. Actually, we had somebody sort of troll you a, a listener of the show who wrote something sort of sexually graphic to you and I was Horrified. Yeah, when you that took happened. that real
1: real hard. Well, I was
0: like, This is so embarrassing. So I messaged you.
1: Tommy mean dadded him right
2: away. I did mean that no. him. No. <laughs> no.
0: But I, but when I messaged you, your response was like, Oh, I get this every day. You were completely <laughs> unfazed by it. I know,
2: it. I get this. Well, they say you would put your grandmother in a boxcar. Yeah. I mean, how bad there's nothing worse than that. Why?
0: Well, I just don't understand. Like, this is but this is the Trumpism that you're talking about. No, but
2: about. this is the this is the conflating conflict with abuse. I have an opinion that that if they really thought about it, they would have to think about themselves in a different way. So instead of doing that, they escalate and it becomes that I'm a Nazi, I'm a terrorist. Mm -hmm. You know, they inflate it. They overstate harm, as I say in my subtitle of my book. Mm -hmm. And it's a way to avoid the fact that they feel uncomfortable about having to Mm -hmm. confront certain things.
0: Well, your book is definitely not pro-police, but it is potentially anti-technology in some ways, which is Mm -hmm. one thing that I have seen queer people saying to you. Not that you're anti-technology, but that your views on technology, I think somebody said it's indicative of your generation.
2: Well, I have two different statements about technology in the book. So one is that... Uh, you know I that this whole thing about blocking people or refusing to or hiding behind email when you have a misunderstanding with someone you know who's your friend and then you say never write me again and then you block their email it's crazy people Yeah, it's like if you have a conflict with someone you know pick up the phone and talk to them and, and this hiding behind email just escalates yeah. and this you is, actually like, go
0: so far as to say like you think that it should be a rule that if you have a conflict over this that you have to you follow with well,
2: somebody you, you know you should talk to them after well,
1: this has allowed people like the advent of anonymous communication lets people be a teenager forever like no one ever ever has to grow up ever you can just say horrible shit to someone or just benign shit that you then never address ever again and then you just go to your room and they don't know who you are and nothing ever gets resolved right
2: that's true but i'm talking about people who know each other mm. who end up in you know in conflicts and blocking each other so right um, so that's one thing instead but of then podcasting in, in, about it together <laughs> <laughs> but then in the section on the war in gaza i show the advantages of technology because yeah. i follow every person in gaza who tweeted in english and so I was able to really uh, get the information as to what people in Gaza were experiencing and to contrast it with the misrepresentation by the New York Times. And so there it was very beneficial. But I don't think that that means I'm anti-technology. The thing is that I'm older, I'm 58, and I don't even use certain forms of technology like Snapchat Your or... private
1: server age. <laughs> <laughs> Watch out. I'm pre-internet, <laughs> so, you know, obviously...
2: Uh, there's a lot that I don't understand about how younger people use technology. But I still think no matter how old you are, if you have a fight with a friend because of an email, you should call them.
1: Well, as a younger person, I can say that we mostly use technology for our frequent masturbation and <laughs> <laughs> it's um, the occasional tweet. It's
0: <laughs> I, however, a lot of depth. am really interested in your... So I follow you on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And your Instagram is... I, I You do Instagram differently than literally everybody else that I follow. <laughs> you put pictures up that I don't really know what they are sometimes, like a conveyor belt at an airport, I think is a, is a recent one, with no caption. So what is the philosophy behind it? I have to ask you what the it's philosophy is. My,
2: my theme of my Instagram is <laughs> empty space.
0: Oh. That is literally what every photo is. Honey,
2: you idiot <laughs> it is it's like a, it's, i've been
0: wondering because it's like an empty bus it's an airport like you know gate that you're waiting at it's yeah. there's nobody in any photos
2: my heart
0: oh interesting why empty space
2: because i uh for my because of what i do in the world i travel all the time mm-hmm. like i just did an eight city book tour for this book and traveling is just like you're just constantly like on some bus going to some horrible airport space waiting in some horrible space getting on some horrible thing. I mean that's my re- I spend so much of my life like that. So mm. that's what I'm sharing on Instagram. Do
0: you uh, do you like being on the road? I think you said recently you're
2: I, I've been traveling on the road for 33 years and I have friends everywhere. There's nowhere that I go that I don't have friends and I love that and I love I mean the re- reception of this book has been phenomenal. Like every single place Place has been people standing, packed, mm-hmm. long discussions, sometimes an hour or two after the reading with people, really sincere conversations. I mean, everyone is so over this takedown culture, you know, call-out culture. They're so sick of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been a great experience. But getting from place to place is horrible because mm. airports are very negative spaces.
0: Mm, interesting. I will say I was... Totally. I did experience one of them. I saw you at the the center here in New mm-hmm. York um, about two months one. ago. It was a really good discussion, but you attract a really... You're one of the voices on the left that's talking about takedown culture in a way that I think is important. Because I see a lot of people on the left still engaging that impulse, especially after Trump. Because I think that we need to be blocking and unfollowing fewer people now because we really should be exposing ourselves to what other people are thinking. I just don't know... Not just
1: exposing ourselves, but trying to understand. A lot of people are exposing themselves to all kinds of stuff and then immediately rejecting it out of hand. No one's mm. even trying to understand. I just
0: love that this book, I think, is is building a bridge rather than a wall, so to speak. I think A fence rather than a wall. <laughs> <laughs> Can we make it Israel-centered for two seconds? I think it might be time, Karen, to move on. All
1: right, let's do it. I mean, so much left unsaid. So we could talk to you for
0: days on end, but we're gonna move into our next segment, rapid fire. Pew pew pew. Okay, so this segment is where we're gonna give you words, phrases, and maybe a little game like "fuck, marry, kill." But you don't have to kill; you can shun. It'll well, be that really would be, obvious when we say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so we're gonna give you a game, and then you have to play it. Like you, you just say like the first thing that comes but into your like mind. But it's like fast, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, ready? So, do you want to go first, or should I go first? You uh, go first.
1: Okay, this is called. Uh, would, what do you prefer, uh, nap or podcast? Nap. Okay. Um, that's fair. What
0: is the first thing that comes into your mind when I say the name Jonathan Larson?
2: Who the fuck is Jonathan Larson? He wrote Rent. I mean, oh. I have no feelings about him anymore. Cool. All right. That's the first thing. <laughs> oh, that's sweet.
0: Look at that. That's, that's conciliatory.
2: Okay.
1: What do you think of when you look at Tommy's Jeffrey Dahmer serial killer glasses? I, I never
2: made the association. Interesting, Thank you. fascinating. Very from an much. artist, yeah.
0: Okay, you're th- you're kind of a theater nut. What is your favorite all-time musical?
2: Three Penny Opera.
0: Oh, very on brand for you.
2: Okay, Coke or Diet Coke? Diet Coke, but
1: no shit. Yeah. That's but what was about the that? Yeah, go ahead. I, Let's not, explore not often. This. Mm-mm.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay, favorite place to eat in New York City.
2: I don't want to say because I don't want people to go there.
0: Okay, what's the cuisine? What's the cuisine? Levities.
2: Okay, all right, good, good, good.
1: Um, shit, that I had. That was all my things. That
2: was all you Wait, had. go.
1: Um, beard or goatee? I don't care. Really? Okay.
2: Yeah. Um, all right. What, what? do you care about? All right, you go ahead.
0: Okay. What? Who do you think is the best working actress in America right now?
2: I have to say, I I just saw watch Sarah Paulson in the OJ thing. She was amazing. (gasps) Marsha Clark, what a fantastic performance!
1: I don't think she's ever been bad in anything she's ever done. That
2: was for the ages. That one. I mean,
0: she's always, always good, but that was really special. Also, you know who was really special in that movie? John Travolta. He was he was he was in I, drag. I agree. Yeah. I mean, he
2: looks weird because his face has been completely mauled. but I thought his yeah. performance was quite good.
0: Yeah, I thought it was excellent. He was he was operatic, you know. It was beautiful to watch. Okay. Did you watch that?
2: No.
1: It's good. All right, go on. Okay, fire. don't say you don't care. Um <laughs> Jennifer Angelina
0: Do you know what that means?
2: <laughs> I do, but it's like so far from my reality. It's I just see gray right now. <laughs>
1: Okay, gray or the other gray? (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't know. (laughs) Quick, pew, pew. Okay. Okay.
0: Uh, What is the best thing that you've seen culturally, theater, museum, whatever, in the last like month, say? The
2: the, the documentary on OJ was phenomenal. Was it 30 for 30? No, it's called O.J. Simpson Made in America. Made in America, yeah, on ESPN. With a black um, filmmaker whose name escapes me right now. But it was absolutely incredible. Did
0: you know his dad was gay? Pardon me? Did you know his dad was gay?
2: I didn't know. I didn't know that either. And not only gay, but transgender. Whose dad was trans? And he died of a. She died of AIDS.
0: Yeah, Yeah. O.J.'s.
2: Shut up. Yeah, yeah,
0: Yeah. O.J.'s parent, I guess, yeah, was trans. Was it, was identified as trans or?
2: Well, she's described as a a drag performer, but Susan Stryker, who is a trans historian, said that she was in the transgender category.
0: Mm. I thought that that said so much about the United States actually, that documentary, more so than the miniseries, which was fabulous.
1: Um, okay. How do we feel about Tommy eating mints while we're recording the podcast? <laughs> Can you hear it again? Oh my god! I'm a little to... bit. Oh sorry. Okay, so people who are listening, if you have a major beef with Tommy, <laughs> please
0: don't hold I get back. A lot of we shit love for how you don't on hold back. <laughs> okay, all right. So the last, the the last question I will ask you: In your lifetime, who has been the most effective or best, whatever word you want to use, United States president?
2: The one I like the best is Jimmy Carter, but he wasn't very effective.
0: No, but he's been really great since he left office. Yes, I love
2: I love, I love, love him now.
0: Yeah, he's a beautiful man. Okay. Okay,
1: great. wait. Okay, this is the last question. This okay. is the last question of the whole podcast, okay? Um, pick one. The other one has to die, okay? Me or Tommy? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no
0: candy. This is serious. I'm thank serious. <laughs> R.I.P. Karen. Thank you so <laughs> much for coming on. <laughs> yeah. Sarah, what do you have to promote?
2: Oh, yes, please. What do I have to promote? Yes.
0: This is uh, your opportunity to sell to our, (laughs) sell your your social media.
2: Sell it, girl. I don't know. I mean, I have a new book out, Conflict is Not Abuse. Um, I
0: imagine you must have another book. I'm writing a
2: detective novel right now.
0: Oh, this is new for you. You've been doing this. No, I've done two other
2: ones, but the last one was like 20 years ago.
0: When did you write about doing this? I saw you writing. I don't know. No, you wrote a different story. Anyway, sorry. I'm going to stop speaking. Yeah.
2: Okay. okay, so I needed to do something that was just like not, not too brainiac.
0: Okay, and uh, what's your Twitter?
2: My Twitter is Sarah Shulman three. But if you're gonna write, she put her grandmother in a boxcar. <laughs> please do not go on. My I Twitter. don't
0: think that we have those type of listeners, but we it's probably, probably a couple. do. God bless you guys. Yeah, well, yeah. Welcome. Send those to Karen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Karen Margolis. Thick skin. <laughs> um, okay, please don't send them to me either. But yeah. it wouldn't be appropriate.
1: And read Conflict is Not Abuse. Like Karen. Some things are conflict and some things are abuse. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) And sometimes there's abuse even when people disagree that there's abuse, but that's what the podcast is for.
0: (laughs) Okay. This has been great. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah. Please
1: come back, Sarah. We really enjoy you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.